0: Hey, what's going on? RCC, so glad to be back. It's- been a minute since I've been here. Uh, thank you, COVID. Uh, but man, I'm really excited to be back. I love Paul, love your staff, love your communities and your church. And so, man, thanks for having me back uh, for actually two weeks back to back. So if you don't really like this week, don't, don't come next week because I'm going to be here again. But hopefully you'll like this week a lot better than you like 2020. It has been a really terrible year. Um, it's not the worst year ever. I did look that up. Apparently there was a year back in like 500 uh, AD where it didn't, uh, th- there was no sun for like a year and a half or two years. So it's not quite that bad, but it's, it's pretty bad. And, and of course, I'm in Atlanta. It's bad. And you know, for me and, and for you, it's even worse because you invited another hurricane uh, recently. So way to go on that. Um, the year just keeps getting better, doesn't it? If you, um, if you were to think about maybe a word that would describe this year, I don't know what word you would choose, but I'm going to guess it has four letters in it because that's the kind of year it has been. And as a um, pastor, kind of as a preacher, you know, if you go to church, if you've been around church for a while, you know this. Like sometimes in church, we just talk about generic stuff that's applicable to your life, like relationships or marriage, parenting, finances. I mean, just stuff that's helpful. And then sometimes we just talk about very current realities and try to find a way to move forward. That's what we're going to do beginning today. We're going to talk about something very specific to 2020, and I think probably very specific to your life. To kind of get us going, I need to go back in time in my life Uh, to when I was in 10th grade. I'll tell you a little story. Um, Actually, I'm gonna go back a little bit before that. Actually, if I go way back before that, I I grew up like some of you did. I loved playing sports. I was like a sports nut. I was an artist and a sports person. And I liked both a lot, I I, I probably had a better, you know, potential to become an artist professionally, but I really loved basketball. That was my favorite sport. I loved to dribble up and down the court. It's a rap song, I won't do it for you. But I was like a real little kid. I mean, I had a late growth spurt. I mean, so I had no chance to be really successful at basketball, but it was my favorite sport, my favorite sport. So in ninth grade, I tried out for the JV basketball team. And I was going to a school at the time for ninth grade. They were really good at basketball, like state championship style kind of good. Now, Granted, I'm just trying out for the JV team, but it was a daunting task trying out. So, of course, we go out there the first day for tryouts. If you've ever done this, you know. I mean, the basketball's not even come out until day three. I mean, you just run until half the people throw up, and that's when the coach feels like the practice is done. So we did that for a while, and, you know, eventually the tryout ends, and I made the JV basketball team. I mean, I was the shortest one out there. I, I mean, you know, but I, I didn't really do anything. I don't even think I played any, but I was on the Team, I had the jersey, I got to look cool, I met some cool, really tall people. I mean, it was pretty awesome in ninth grade. So, after ninth grade, we moved that summer. We moved to a different county, different school district. Now, the district that we moved from where I was in ninth grade, basketball community. The community we moved to, it was not a basketball community, it was more of like a country club community, like lots of golf and tennis, lots of khakis and polos. And you know, I'm like. Well, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to be a starter on this basketball team. So, of course, when basketball tryouts come out, man, I am the first one to sign up because I am stoked about playing basketball in the country club school because, I mean, come on, right? I'm going to make that team. You probably know where this is going. So, I start the tryouts. It's just like it was last year. We all run. few people throw up. Day one ends. Day two, we come back. Same thing. Bunch of running. Bunch of puking. And that ends And then day three gets there, we pull the basketballs out. Now I'm pretty excited about that. I mean, I was in decent shape, and so I was fine with the running, but when the basketball started, I thought now it's my time to shine. I mean, I'm a sophomore, there are freshmen out here with us, and we're all just trying out for the JV basketball team. I made it last year as a freshman on a basketball program. Certainly I'm gonna be able to make it here. Now I wasn't really that cocky, but I mean, I was pretty confident. And I played okay on Wednesday night, Came back Thursday, and I played pretty good, too. I mean, it wasn't great, but it, it was pretty good. Came back Friday, and the coach has been making cuts along the way. I mean, I'm still, you know, on the team, of course. Came back Friday, we actually had a three-point shooting contest as a part of that tryout. And they put us with a varsity. I remember me and the big-time varsity three-point shooter went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. We each made like 12 in a row. And eventually I missed, and he won. Everybody cheered, and it was over. But I thought, who cares? I mean, I made 12 in a row. He made 13. But, I mean, was everybody watching? I should definitely be on, I should probably be on the varsity team, much less the JV team. So the coach said after that Friday practice he was going to make a cut, final cuts. So made for a pretty scary weekend. This is before the internet, or you couldn't look up and see who made it. So on Monday morning, I had to ride the bus to school, run into the gym, and i look at the list, and there's a full list of people, and my name is on the list, and I am super excited. I show up Monday that afternoon to the basketball trial. You know, again, we're going to do some, we'll start doing practices, I guess, and the coach says, hey, actually, I need to need to make one more cut because we, we had some of the football players that just joined, you know, the team because football season ran long and now they're going to be trying out too. And we just got to make sure we get the right mix of people. That was the first sign, you know. I, I, we had tryouts Monday night. Gosh, I remember it so vividly. It went terrible. We, we spent almost the whole time scrimmaging. All, all the players knew each other because they had been in school together for years and years. I was kind of the new kid. Nobody really wanted to pass the ball to me. I was the new kid. No one, I don't think, wanted me to make the team. I was the new kid, which meant I would take a spot from one of the old kids. I remember at one point going down on a fast break and dribbling the ball off my foot. I I, I would never do that normally, but I did. I don't know if I was just nervous. I don't know. There was another moment I went to throw the ball, and a person didn't go where I thought they were going to go, and I hit another person in the back of the head with the basketball. Kind of funny now, but it was not funny that night. My parents picked me up Monday night after practice and I knew. I'm like, I'm going to get cut. The next morning I walked into the gym and saw that list. And on that list, I was the only name missing from the list that previous day. I was the last one cut. I remember I was so angry about it, so frustrated. I mean, I, I had a bad night, but it wasn't terrible. I mean, some of the other people did dumb things too. And, and did he not remember the 12 three-pointers that I made? Did he not remember the other nights? I mean, the, the non-puking. I mean, I had a lot of good things going for me, except for that one night. Later that afternoon, I went back to the gym. I, just, I mean, I was so frustrated. I couldn't think of anything else. So I, I go back to the gym, and I go into the coach's office, Coach Flynn. I go into Coach Flynn's office, and I'm like, hey, Coach. I was like, I'm a little frustrated. I, I don't understand. And he said, hey, I understand that you're frustrated. I'd be frustrated, too, if I were you, Gavin. understand. I vividly remember. He says... But i got to be honest, it wasn't just because of that one night, Gavin. The reality is that I just don't really know you. You're brand new. And all of these other kids have been growing up playing in the recreation in the middle school program, and now they're in the high school program, and I just know them. And I just don't, I just don't know if you'd be a good fit. So I had to go with what I knew. Man, it'd have been better if he'd have told me, honestly, I don't think you're good at basketball. Honestly, you're five foot six. I mean, all sorts of great reasons. That was the worst reason for me, that I'm new. How unfair was that? I was was so angry, so upset. I stormed out of his office, stormed back to class, eventually stormed home on the bus, if you can do that. Walked in, my parents are like, how was school? I'm just screaming, it's awful, you know. So I signed up for the recreation basketball program that year. I played for the you know, county rec department. I averaged 28.3 points a game. At the end of every single game, the opposing coach would come over to me and say, why are you not playing on the school team? And I remember every time I'd say, I don't know, you should ask the coach that. I mean, I, out of anger, averaged that kind of points. I mean, I was so frustrated the entire time. And I wish that I could say at the end of my sophomore basketball season, all of that went away, but it didn't. My, my junior year, the high school varsity coach knew about my prolific recreation career and asked me if I would, you know, try out. And I told him no. And he, he said, no, wait, like, I, I would love for you to try out and be on the varsity team. And I said, there is no way I'm playing basketball for this school. Of course, the story I told myself was because I was angry at them. I had been treated unfairly. I was not going to give them the pleasure of me playing basketball for the school, as silly as that sounds. That's the story I told myself. And in hindsight, that moment in my life actually took 25 years to get over. For, for, For 25 years, for 25 years, I lived out of what my counselor would call an internal vow. I lived out of this vow that I will never be treated unfairly again. I will never lose again. And I will never put myself in a position to lose again for 25 years. It was so bad at times. I would be on vacation and I would like maybe want a paddleboard in the gulf. Beautiful way to do that. Never paddleboarded before. True story. My wife says, hey, you should go rent a paddleboard. And I'm like, okay, that sounds fun. I've always wanted to do it. In the gulf, was the perfect place to do it. I go over, find out how much it is. I come back and she says, oh, did you get it? I'm like, nah, it costs too much. The reality is that it didn't cost too much. I just didn't want to lose at paddleboarding, which I don't even think you can lose at paddleboarding. But this internal vow was so deeply seated in me from the age of 15 that I refused to lose. I refused to put myself in a position where I might lose. And I'm definitely not going to let people treat me unfairly. For 25 years, I lived out of that, out of anger and out of determination. And I got a lot accomplished. You, You can get a lot accomplished when you're angry and determined. I mean, I got married, not out of anger, but I was pretty determined. I got married, had children, built a pretty good career, got several degrees. I mean, you know, actually a, a person like me who has a little bit of a type A personality, that anger and that determination at times actually gets rewarded. I got promoted. I mean, things were okay, but the whole time I was just angry, just angry. I I don't know if your high school years went that way. I don't know if you have ever lived out of anger. I bet you've lived out of an internal vow before. But what happened to me at 15 has happened to you too. And and what what happened to me, the experience that I have had, you've had an experience like that as well. And maybe you didn't respond in anger. Maybe you responded differently. Maybe you responded through medicating it. Maybe you responded through isolating. I don't know we all respond differently, but we've all had similar experiences. What's so cool, I guess, is that Jesus, he had a similar experience. He didn't get cut from the basketball team, but he had a moment where he had to choose how he was going to respond. And if we can respond the way he did, I think it might help us from making those internal vows, I think it may help us be able to move into our future in a way that's so much more positive. There's this guy, John. You've probably heard of John. John was one of those 12 disciples. And so everywhere Jesus went for those three or so years, John was right with him. And every time Jesus did something, John was able to record it and kind of pay attention. And he wrote a lot of that down for us in what we call in our New Testament, the book of John, the Gospel. Of John. So I want to show you a story, and we're going to kind of come back into the middle of it and, and look at one thing Jesus did that I just think is so, so critical to understanding how we should react in these really kind of tough moments. So here's kind of how the story begins. Now, a man named Lazarus, who's a big deal in the Bible, also one of Jesus' best friends, okay? A man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. You've probably heard of them too. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord on Jesus' feet and wiped it with her hair. You may have heard that story. So Mary and Martha, their sisters, Lazarus, their brother, they are very tight and they're very close friends with Jesus. So story continues. So the sisters sent word to Jesus because he's so close to them as a friend, and they know that he can do some miracles. I mean, they saw the water into wine. They've seen some healings. I mean, they don't know what to think about this guy, but even if he isn't, you know, God in a bod, he can fix some stuff. So let's get him here. Lord, the one you love, don't forget, you really like this guy. He is, he's sick. He's sick. So they send word to Jesus. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. He's sitting with his disciples, you know, a long way away, a few days' journey away. And he looks at his disciples when he gets word, he says, Hey, it's cool. This sickness, it's gonna be fine. It's not gonna end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son, talking about himself, may be glorified through it. Now, now, Jesus. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he, now really quick, what would you do if you were Jesus? If you found out, you know, your mom or your dad or your brother, sister, a child, a best friend, a spouse, I mean, if you were away and you found out that they were sick, what would you do? You'd pack up and get on the airplane or get in the car, you'd go straight home. In Jesus' case, you'd pack everything in the satchel and put your sandals on and start walking, right? But that's not what Jesus does, right? So so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days, which is kind of weird. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Now, I don't have the time to tell you the whole story right now, but you should read this in John 11 because the disciples are really wondering why Jesus isn't responding faster, but then they also remember that he's in Judea, and they don't want to go to Judea because the last time they were in Judea, they almost were killed. And so at one point, Jesus says, well, let's go back, and one of the disciples goes, well, I guess we'll all go die together. I mean, you should read it, it's pretty awesome. So, so Jesus and the disciples start traveling back to the home of Lazarus where they hope he is still alive. They hope he is just sick. So when, story continues. When Mary um, uh, reached the place where Jesus was and saw him because he had come back and like they're looking out the window every day like hoping Jesus is gonna show up. So when Mary kind of saw that Jesus was back She fell at his feet and she says, Lord, if you had been here, I don't know where you were, but if you'd have been here, like we asked, by the way, my brother, the one you loved, he would not have died. He would not have died. All the disciples are gathered around and they're so confused because Jesus said he he wasn't going to (laughs) die. And then Jesus just hung out for a while and then he came back. And Lazarus is dead. The story continues. When Jesus Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. He was deeply moved in spirit. And he was troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Where have you you put the body of my friend Lazarus? Now, really quick, before I tell you the rest of the story, for some of you, that is the most important thing you're gonna hear. Because you need to know that when you are hurting, Jesus is deeply moved by that pain. When you hurt, he hurts. It doesn't mean he takes it away immediately. It doesn't mean that he always resolves it the way you want to. But he, he's not oblivious to it. He's not removed from it. He feels it with you because he loves you. That's part of why this story is so important. So, so Jesus says, where, where have you put... Lazarus, where have you put my friend, the the one that I love? Come and see. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then Jesus wept. And then the the Jew said, see how he loved him. See how he loved him. So Jesus goes with the crowd over to this tomb where Lazarus has been buried for several days, several days. He kind of looks around at him and he says, roll the stone back. Again, you got to read this for yourself. At at, at one point, one of the people says, but Jesus, the body stinketh in there. Like, don't roll the stone away. You don't want to smell or see what's in there now. He's been dead for several, several days. But Jesus says, it's okay. I want you to roll the stone back. Then he does the most Jesus thing. He he prays to God. And the prayer is basically this. Hey, God, uh, what's up? Uh, you know that I love this guy, and I know that you love this guy, and I know that you love me, and you know that I love you. And, and we both know what you're about to do. But I'm going to pray to you so that they know, all the people, so that they know that you and I, that, that we're one. That's basically the prayer. After the prayer, he kind of looks into the tomb. And you maybe have heard this part. He says, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And then Jesus says to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, as a Christian, and even as me as a Christian growing up, I heard this story so many times. And this is a part of the story that we always focused on. I mean, when we were really little in preschool and we would draw coloring pages of Lazarus, you know, coming out of the tomb. Now, we didn't scare the children, but, you know, it's kind of a scary story. But on the other side of it, I mean, ah, the guy's alive. I mean, that's what we're celebrating. In elementary Sunday school, like I used to go to when I was a kid, when we talked about the story, it was that part of the story that we focused on. And for good reason. I mean, when, anytime someone comes back to life, we should focus on that. Anytime Jesus predicts something and then does it, we should focus on that. But but there's another moment in the story that we always seem to miss. And I don't think it's more important than this part, but I I think maybe in this season, in our lives, it, it actually might be a little bit more important. Maybe the reason we miss it is because it's the shortest verse in the Bible. Maybe the reason we miss it is because we're always so excited to get to the ending, the good ending of the story. But right in the middle, right in the middle, there's a moment where Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the entire scripture. And maybe one of the most important verses for us in 2020. See, th- th- this is so critical for us to understand. Because these two words kind of carry with it, I, I think, a solution to what we're experiencing. And if we could learn to embrace the, the, the solution behind those two words, think it may allow us to move into our future in a much better space. See, what Jesus chose to do when this idea that he wept, what he actually chose to do was embrace something that none of us want to embrace, and it's grief. Jesus embraced grief. Rather than just moving past the loss, rather than just moving past all the emotion, he allowed himself to kind of sit in the middle of all of that negative feeling, he allowed himself to sit in the middle of what everybody else was experiencing. And, and, and when we think about that, I mean, we often don't do well following Jesus' lead. We definitely don't, don't do well following his lead in that. I mean, we don't want to sit in loss, we don't want to sit in pain, we don't want to sit. In grief, I mean, grief's kind of like a dirty word. I mean, grief isn't something we want to do, but it's really critical to understand why he did it. See, Jesus, Jesus allowed himself to feel the pain and the sadness of death. He allowed himself to feel it. And here's the question, why? Like, why did Jesus allow himself to feel the pain And the sadness of death, why would he do that? Especially when you think about, he knew the end of the story. I mean, Jesus felt the pain and the sadness of death when he didn't even have to. I mean, he knew what he was going to do. He told the disciples, remember, a few days prior, his sickness is not going to end in death. I mean, he knew what he was going to do. Yet, for, for some reason, he allowed himself to feel it. Why did he do that? Why did he weep? Why did he feel it? I think. I think because Jesus understood that grief paves the path to peace. Grief is what allows you to experience peace when you experience loss. And Jesus understood that. And by experiencing grief in that moment, he allowed himself to move towards peace, but he also put on display for you and for me and for everyone watching what it looks like to embrace something that leads to something better. See, see what we often don't understand is that grief has to be experienced when there is a death. Grief is what actually allows death to rest. You've heard the phrase RIP, rest in peace. Well, it's grief that allows RIP to happen. Grief is what allows a death to rest. But what we often miss is that while grief and physical death definitely go together, every version of a loss is actually a death. See, every loss is a death. Every single loss is a death. And this is where this is important, right? Every every loss is a death, and every death gets buried, every single one of them. So just for a second, think about this for a minute. If every loss is a death, the loss of a dream, the loss of an opportunity, loss of a home, not just the loss of a physical loved one. If every single loss is a death, and if every death gets buried, we actually have a couple of choices, We can grieve that loss and we can bury it and allow it to rest in peace. Or, unfortunately, what most of us do, we don't grieve the loss. Maybe because we didn't even know we were supposed to, but we don't grieve the loss. And that ungrieved loss creates a lot of problems because ungrieved losses, they get buried alive And if horror movies have taught us anything, if you bury something alive, it will come back, and it comes back way meaner, way angrier, and way more disruptive in your life than it ever would have if we'd have just grieved it. So if every loss is a death, and if every death gets buried, we either have a choice to grieve it like Jesus did, move towards peace, and allow that burial to happen in peace, or... We ignore the loss. We we don't grieve it. But we still bury it because it's a loss. And every loss gets buried because every death gets buried. But those ungrieved losses don't get buried in peace. They come back over and over, leaving us without any peace. And then they follow us for years and for years, maybe for 25 years, like in my story. And when you think about 2020, we have accumulated a lot of losses. I know we haven't thought of it that way before, but it's important. I think it's critical to our heart and to our emotional life to recognize that all of this year has been summed up by that word, the four-letter word, loss. I mean, think of all the things that we have lost in 2020. Some of you have lost jobs this year. You've lost your 401k. You've lost vacations, not one, lots of them. You've lost graduation ceremonies. That one's personal to me. I had a senior in high school who graduated this past May and wasn't able to do any of the graduation things that all the other years have been able to do. And now he's a freshman at Auburn taking online classes from his dorm that we're somehow paying full price for. But he's lost a lot, which means we've lost it too. I mean, summer camps, birthday parties, friendships, dance recitals. How about this one, Michael and Sally? And that's not a couple. Well, it's a couple, a couple of years ago, a couple of hurricanes, right? That it caused so much loss. And when we face these losses, because they're not physical deaths, we don't associate grief to them, which means we accidentally lose things and bury it alive. That, that might explain some of the frustrations that you're living with. It may explain some of the difficulties that you're experiencing emotionally. And here's what I want. I just don't want you to live a life being haunted by your past ungrieved bosses. Because you see, only losses that are grieved can actually rest in peace. Only the ones that we grieve can rest in peace. I didn't know that when I was 15. Nobody told me that when I was playing JV basketball and trying out as a sophomore. So when I was cut from the team, that was a loss. It was a death of a dream. But no one told me to grieve it. In fact, they told me the opposite. My mom and my dad would say things like, it's not a big deal. My friends would say, we still think you're cool. Other people would say, look how much fun you're having at recreation basketball. But no one said, yeah, Gavin, that really stinks. You should grieve that because it's a, it's a loss. Now, I know the hesitation. I mean, we don't want to feel that pain. We'd rather just stuff it down and move on from the loss, but we, we really can't. I mean, I said it earlier. When, when you experience a loss of any kind, you really only get two choices. And, and if you don't grieve, if you don't grieve a loss now, it's going to create tons of grief for you later. But that's my story. I spent 25 years of my life allowing an ungrieved loss to dictate how I behaved in the current realities of my life. What a horrible story. And I don't want that to be your story. I don't want you to experience 2020 and the losses that we're accumulating and ignore them or minimize them or medicate them and just move on as if it really didn't matter because it does matter. Every loss matters because every loss, no matter how big or small you think it is, every single one of those losses, it's a death. And every one of those deaths are gonna be buried. And you're gonna bury it. And you can either grieve it and bury it and allow it to rest in peace, or you can ignore it. But when you ignore it, it goes ungrieved. And you're still gonna bury it, but you're gonna bury it alive, and it is gonna come back to haunt you. And you're gonna have a lot of trouble tracing it back and figuring out why things in your heart aren't right, why things inside of you don't feel the way you know they're supposed to. Odds are it's that ungrieved loss. See, your, your present, your present realities, right? They, they really can't become your past if they stay with you into your future. That's what ungrieved losses do. They, they don't ever stay in your past. They stay with you everywhere you go. And they continue to bother you, continue to haunt you. But it doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> it took me a long time to learn that really hard lesson. I don't think you should do that. I think you should just grieve the losses. So what have you lost? Jobs, houses, friendships. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And while we can't really avoid loss, what we can do is live through it in a way that allows us to grieve it so that we can experience peace on the other side. That's what we should do with 2020. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, man, this has been a terrible year. I feel like it's not getting that much better. We just continue to rack up all these losses. But Father, I pray that even though you aren't removing all the losses, that you still have a path for us that leads to peace. And your son, Jesus, showed us exactly what it is. All we really need to do All we have to do is recognize that every single loss is a death. And instead of ignoring it, we can grieve it and we can allow it to be buried in peace. So God, I just pray that we will do that. And then God, I just pray too for anybody who's listening and thinking about this. If if there's something in their heart that is not right, I, I pray that you give them the wisdom to be able to look back in their past and maybe discover an ungrieved loss or maybe several losses that they just didn't know to grieve. And and listen, it's not your fault. You just didn't know. But I pray that you'll give people wisdom to see that. And then God, give them the courage to go back and sit in the pain and the sadness as much as we don't want to, knowing that on the other side is peace and freedom and really the only way for it not to grieve us. Father, we love you. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. I can't wait to see you guys next week for part two of Good Grief. Thanks.